Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. series we're calling Collision, uh, when uh, Jesus collides with us. Uh, the whole book is about uh, collisions, really, that Jesus has with different people, and, and lives are changed, and uh, people's eternity is changed. And so, we've been pushing through the book pretty fast, but um, if you would take notes, and especially, I think, today, I think today would really be helpful uh, to all of us, myself included. I think, I think if you lean into it a little bit, I think if you take some notes, I think if you apply it, I think today can be a really big help as you, uh, as you live your life and, and uh, uh, be a better spouse, better parent, better citizen, better worker, better co-worker, better boss. I think it would just be a real blessing to you. So uh, if you have your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament, verses are in there, <clears throat> and uh, we'll put the verses up on the screen, and uh, we're, we're starting here in John chapter 8. Uh, I tell you, I like this time of year a lot because I like to, uh, my wife and I like watching like watching football on a cold evening with the fireplace going. How many of you like just like watching football? I don't even care who's playing. It's just kind of fun to do it. It's kind of like a winter thing to do. Um, the other day, uh, Amy had brought home some ice cream, and um, she bought one of those little tubs of ice cream, and it was clearly marked that it was hers. Uh, wives, don't, don't do that. Just don't do that. If you're, you're going to buy one for you, you need to buy one for him, okay? Just, you can't do that. And... Uh, uh, she was out, I don't know what she was doing, and, and uh, there it was, the ice cream in the freezer, me in the football game, no one else. And the puppy, the dog was there, yeah. So the dog looked at me and kind of like, you're going to get it, right? And I was like, well, I mean, if you want some, I mean, anything for the puppy, right? <laughs> and of course, she comes home, and what's the first thing out of her mouth? Where's my ice cream? Yeah. Um, have you ever been caught red-handed? How, raise your hand if there's something you've done in life. Would you? Yeah, it's embarrassing, isn't it? It's like the dog. The dog ate the whole thing. <laughs> you know, it's not good. It's just not a good. It's it's no fun. It's embarrassing to get caught. The I say that to say this because the story we're going to talk about, John chapter eight, is about a woman that gets caught red-handed in the act of adultery, and this is no fun, and and it's an embarrassing story. It's not a good thing. Did you know, uh, did you know that, that in Israel, that crime, uh, that time, if you were caught in adultery, that was punishable by death. You, they'd kill you for that. Uh, now, interesting story. We're going to know. We're going to see this. But, but she's brought to Jesus, and, and, and instead of being killed, uh, she learns about the word grace, and she learns what that means and how it applies to her life. So, before we dig into this, so I, I want you to uh, take note of this because I want to make sure that you understand it. There's, there's the word grace and there's the word mercy. And sometimes, myself included, I use the wrong word at the wrong time because they, they sound like they're, you know, they kind of, you kind of, don't you kind of think grace and mercy are kind of like the same word? You kind of think about it? Um, well, they're not. They're a little bit different. The word grace means it, it's God's unmerited favor, but it, it's getting what you do not deserve. So when you have grace, you're, you're getting what you do not deserve. That's grace. Now, if we look at the other word, which we're going to talk about today, is the word mercy. 
mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So um, if you've ever been stopped by a police officer and the police officer decides not to give you a ticket, raise your hand. I'll be honest. We're in church. You can do this. Have you ever been pulled over for speeding? And you were. You were speeding. And the police officer decided not to give you a ticket. Raise your hand. Okay, right. So, so pastor, what is that? That's mercy. You're speeding. You knew it. You got pulled over. And he said, ah, I'll let you go this time. Okay, so, so what's grace then? Well, grace is a little bit different because grace kind of picks up kind of where mercy, mercy stops. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. But because grace always includes, I'll call it a blessing. There's, there's something to it, okay? So mercy is, yeah, I should have got the speeding ticket, but I didn't. Grace kind of keeps going if you, if you were talking about grace. So what would be grace? Well, imagine the police officer pulls you over and he stops you for speeding and, and decides not to give you a ticket. And you would say, okay, at that moment, the police officer decided not to give me a ticket. That's mercy. Okay, we got that. But now, let's just say the police officer then continues the conversation. He says, so, so where are you going? Well, I was going to go to Quick Trip to buy some more bananas. Why is it that Quick Trip has the best bananas? How many of you think Quick Trip has just got the best? What did they do? They have like banana trees in the back? Or they just have the best. But Well, okay, so, so let's say the police officer says, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know you were going to Quick Trip. Oh, I, you should have told me you are going to. You're going to go buy bananas? Tell you what, let me hop my squad. I'll get in front of you. I'll turn the lights on. We'll, we'll close out the roads. I want to make sure you get to Quick Trip safely to go buy bananas. That's grace. Okay, so see where they kind of, the difference, the mercy is, yeah, I didn't get a ticket, but grace says, hey, we'll make sure you get there in style, we'll make sure nothing slows you down. That's called grace. So, so in this story, what we're going to see is Jesus is fully grace, okay, he's fully grace, and, and, and he's also fully truth, okay, and, and it's, it's kind of a, a tricky balance because he can do that because he's God, he can be 100% of both. Um, we often have a tendency to be grace or truth, but, but it's really important to understand that, 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 that Jesus is, is full of both of those things, and, and this story really is going to kind of show what God is like. He is full of truth, 100% truth, but he's also 100% grace, okay? Quick illustration, so pastor, what do you mean by that? So, uh, well, we kind of described what, what grace is, you know, grace is, is, is that, but truth is, is saying, well, the truth, the law says this. The law says you are speeding. You know, that's the truth, right? But grace says, yeah, well, you know, we'll give you mercy and I'll make sure you get to quick trip on the way and you get there in style, okay? Or you get there on time. So, but Jesus was full of that. Yes, this is truth, but yes, this is grace too. Take your Bible, if you got your Bible. John chapter 8, start off in verse 1. John chapter 8, start off in verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and, and, and just for the sake of timing, this, this chapter 8 literally picks up where chapter 7 left off, okay? This is literally a couple days later, all right, just so you kind of understand the whole time, timing of it. John chapter 8, verse 2, and in the early morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came in unto him and sat down and taught them, verse 3, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in, in, in the midst, they said unto him, Master! This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Whoa. 
verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us, this is what they're saying, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. Now let's, let's pause for just a second in the story. I want you to get kind of what's going on. Um, give me a little bit of history here. There, there, there is a book and it's still, it's still uh, Jewish people, uh, traditional Jews, Orthodox Jews, but still use the book. It's called the Mishnah, the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is, uh, is a, uh, a book of what's called oral traditions. It's called the Mishnah. It's not part of the Bible. And it's basically what it is, it's, an, it's a commentary on how to live out the first five books of the Bible. So, so kind of get yourself, the, the Torah, get yourself in perspective. Back in those days, remember, Jesus didn't have this half of the Bible, right? It wasn't written yet. It, it was going to be written, but it wasn't written. They had the Old Testament, Okay. So what the, what the Orthodox Jews, what the Jewish people practicing, they refer to the first five books of the Bible as the Torah. So you had this other book called the Mishnah, and the Mishnah was a commentary on what to do and how to fill out all the rules of the first five books of the Bible, first five books of the Scriptures. So, so I say that to say this, that the Mishnah says this, that that, that, that although the law teaches that a person who commits adultery, because that's what these people said, they come to Jesus and say, hey, she committed adultery, she should be put to death. The Mishnah tells you how to put them to death. Does that make sense? The Mishnah is not part of the Bible. It's not inspired. It's not part of the scriptures. It's just that they had reference. And so like, okay, well, the Bible says, you know, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah say, put her to death. Well, how do we do that? I mean, what do we do? Well, we go open this book that we wrote, that Jews wrote, and let's figure it out. So it's interesting if you read the Mishnah. The Mishnah says that a couple that was caught in adultery, you're not going to believe this, you would take them to the center of town, they would stand them in a wooden box filled with three feet of cow manure. I'm not making this up. That This is literally what the Mishnah says. This is what the oral tradition of the Jewish people at that time so you got caught in adultery, come here, middle of town, there's a box, three feet, cow manure, you stand in it. Then the men of the city would come by, they'd pick up rocks, and they would throw the rocks at the couple until they died. How long did that take? I mean, literally, especially the way some of you guys throw. You know, it'd be, it'd be years before the guy died. <laughs> Once they died, though, this is so bizarre. Once they died, they, they would take the couple, they're dead, and they would put them face down in the manure, and then they would bury the whole box with them in it. And then, you think it's over, right? No, it's not over. Then they would take a tree, and they would plant a tree there where they buried the couple so that that tree would grow in the town and everyone would know <laughs> there's that couple. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and history says that it didn't happen much. Um, it probably happened once every seven to ten years. Yeah, you think. Uh, but, but with that in mind, okay, see how bizarre that is? See how, like, legalistic that is? This is what the, these people bring, the religious leaders bring this woman to Jesus and say, well, 
This is what the law says. Let's go build a box. Let's get some manure. Let's start doing this. So they, they bring her. Um, I'd have to guess, because of the way it phrases it, that she's caught in the act, that they, they went into the house there and just yanked her out of bed, and she's probably naked. She's probably totally humiliated. Um, she's scared. Where's Jesus? He's in the temple. Oh, boy. This is a really bad situation. And, and now, but what's the obvious? And you all know where I'm going to go with this next point. What's missing in the story? The guy, last time I checked, I'm a little naive, but it takes two to tango. Uh, so the, where's the guy? Well, they don't bring the guy, and so Jesus kind of realizes, okay, this is a setup, right? And, and they're going to use this woman to test Jesus. They're going to just, she's just totally a pawn in the whole thing. They don't really care about her. Uh, they're just kind of using it to trap Jesus. And, and, so, and so I thought about this. This woman, is she feeling conviction? Or is she feeling condemnation? Now, there, there's two more words we need to talk about today because I want you to understand it. The word conviction and the word condemnation. Those are two words sometimes, sometimes we're sloppy and we kind of interchangeably use those a little bit. I want to explain, though, what, what the difference is because I want you to understand maybe what's in this woman's mind. Conviction, conviction is the work of God's Spirit in our life, okay? Conviction is when God's Spirit works in our life. Why? To lead us back to God. The purpose is God's Spirit's working in your life. Why? Because I want you to come back. Okay? I don't want you to live like that. I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to be like that. So God's Spirit convicts us for the only purpose of bringing us back to God. But condemnation, on the other part, condemnation is, is Satan's tool to isolate us, to draw us away from the Lord. So you have conviction, and then you have condemnation. Conviction is God's Spirit working in my life. Dan, don't do that. Dan, don't be like that. Why? Because I want you to get closer to me. I want you to get closer. I want you to draw closer. Condemnation is Satan's tool. You're useless. You're no good. No one likes you. No one at that church talks to you. They all think you're bad. And Satan's job is to get us to get farther and farther away from it. Condemnation doesn't pull us closer. Condemnation pushes us away from God. But it's a tool of Satan. It's not a tool of Jesus. We have to remember, church, the book of Romans in the New Testament, Paul said, uh, said remember this, there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our sin debt has been paid. Okay, so, so as a Christian, there is no condemnation. But, but, but when, we're, when we're a Christian and when we act out, when we do something wrong, we're, we're not being condemned by God. God's forgiven us of those things. Um, you may not have been able to forgive yourself for, you may still be mulling over your mind, but he's forgiven you of those things that you think are oftentimes unforgivable. This woman, I'm sure, was feeling condemnation. Let's face it, she's brought in by all the religious leaders. She's probably naked. She's right in the middle of the temple. And, you know, what does God have to do with me? This is terrible. And so, so you just have to understand there's a difference between the conviction of the Holy Spirit and just us feeling condemned. You know, God doesn't condemn us when we mess up. Always remember, Satan is the one that condemns us. What does God do? Remember, God's the one that convicts us. Uh, again, put this on the screen. Conviction leads to a change. Condemn condemnation leads to us feeling bad. Okay? Revelation chapter 12 talks about Satan being the accuser of the brethren. Satan's job is to stand before God and say, yeah, look at that person. They're a loser. 
They acted out their addiction again. They sinned again. They did this again. They, they treated their wife like that again. They, look at you. This person claims to be a Christian. This person says that they're going to church. This person goes to day spring. Boy, you know, Jesus, you ought to be disgusted with this person. That's what Satan's job is, is to accuse Christians. He's the one that does it. Not God. Satan's the one that says you're worthless. He's the one that puts in your mind, there's no way God could ever use you. You're a loser. You have no qualities. There's nothing worth in your life. No one at that church likes you. How come they didn't talk to you? They don't like you. Guys, God never says that. <laughs> Jesus says that, all right? Satan says that. Jesus never says that. Satan's the one that says that. Jesus would never do that. He doesn't say that. Satan's the father of lies. So when we sin, God uses conviction. God, God brings about a change in us. He seeks to see a change. And the Holy, Holy Spirit always working through the Scripture works in a way that convicts of us of our sin, but not to condemn us, but to get us to change, okay? So then, say, Pastor, does a Christian ever feel guilty? Well, yes, a Christian feels guilty. When we sin as a Christian, we ought to feel guilty. Guilt is a tool of the Holy Spirit to bring about conviction. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, some guilt is bringing about conviction. God, would you forgive me of that? God, I want to move on. God, I want to move forward. Satan doesn't do that. Satan uses that tool to, to make us wallow in the mud, to make us stick in the, the mire, and, and, and you'll never be used by God. Uh, this is terrible. It's just not good. Okay, so practical illustration. Pretend for a moment I had a, a jar up here, and there's a table, and inside that jar there are chocolate chip cookies. And, and my mom, well, in this case, my wife, tells me, <laughs> tells me, don't eat the chocolate chip cookie, okay? All right, okay, so she's gone. I take the chocolate chip cookie, all right? I'm going to eat the chocolate chip cookie. Take a bite of the chocolate chip cookie. Oh, man. man. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't eat the chocolate chip cookie, right? Do you all agree I shouldn't eat the chocolate chip cookie? Right, you're all sitting there going, Pastor, don't eat chocolate chip cookie. Conviction, conviction, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. All right, all right, I'm going to change. Okay. Honey, I'm sorry, I had, I had the last chocolate chip cookie. Or I guess I ate your ice cream. Okay, that's what I should be saying. I'm not even <laughs> using the good illustration. See what conviction did? Conviction brought about a what? A change. Condemnation is, is this. Chip cookie, huh? Chocolate chip cookie. Feeling guilt, starting to feel that conviction. Those people at church, all they do is condemn me. They just point their fingers at me. Why is it no one likes it? Why is it my wife is always nagging at me? Why is she like that? Why? Why is my mom just like they don't don't stop? They never let up. They they never do it. Why is it? Why is my dad just won't back off on me? Give me a break. Why is it my boss lay off a little bit? You're always on my case. What's the problem with them? They're always like this. Why is no one like me? Everyone's looking at me weird. Where's the cookie? I still have it. Right? That's not conviction. That's not change. That's what condemnation. I don't want to change. I, 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 don't want to, I want to have my sin. I'm going to blame all of you. It's your problem. It's not my problem. Okay? This, you guys are all worthless. I, and guys, listen, I, I see that a lot of times when I do counseling and stuff like that. I, I, it's, it blows me away sometimes. 
people will, will you know, look for counseling and, and you'll say, hey, it's a cookie, you stuck it in your pocket. Yeah, well, it's everybody else's fault. <laughs> no one's trying to condemn you here. No, you need to go put the cookie back. Well, I like having the cookie with me. All right, your life's going to be miserable. I don't know what else to say. But conviction brings you back to a point of change. Remember this. Always remember this. God wants to convict you. God's desire is not to condemn you, okay? The debt's already been paid. He wants to bring about a change. And, and, and sometimes we walk around with this condemnation thinking, oh, God's condemning me. You know, no, 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 God's not condemning you. Satan's condemning you. Always remember that. Go back to our passage. John chapter 8, verse 7. John chapter 8, verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. So the second time he writes in the ground. Look at verse 9. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing right there in the middle. So he's right there in the midst. So, so this is kind of, I got to sit on this for a little bit, because this is kind of interesting. I think this is probably one of the most popular verses I think people like to use on Facebook. They like to appear spiritual. Uh, whenever, has a, whenever a Christian has an opinion about something, they say, well, you know, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Have you ever had someone say that to you? You know, <laughs> you know judge not. Don't judge me. I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's you missed your bedtime. Don't judge me. You're spending, you know, you're just, your money spending's out of control. Don't judge me. You're committing a felony. Well, don't judge me. <laughs> People just like to throw that out. Christians, and especially non-Christians, I think, like to throw it at Christians all the time. You know, just, just you know, just throwing it out there. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that we're supposed to approve of everything people do. Okay, that's not the point of what he's talking about. Let me show you a couple of verses for the sake of time, and we'll just look at these because I want you to get this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Okay, that is in the Bible, exactly. And boy, everyone likes to quote that one. Um, that's not the only verse, though, Jesus talked about judging. I'm going to explain this in a minute. Talk about John chapter 7, verse 24. We looked at this the other week. We talked about John chapter 7. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So, so here, kind of in one place, Jesus is saying don't judge. In another place, he's saying it's okay to judge. Uh, Jesus, you know, was, was really good at evaluating people and accepting people, although he didn't accept the lifestyle, okay? And sometimes there's that attitude, well, judge not, don't judge me, that, that as a Christian, we're supposed to approve of everyone's lifestyle because Jesus said don't judge. That's not what he said. Here, here's why. I want to just show you that we, under, we misunderstand it because we're not using the words correctly. There, there's two words that are used that we would use for the word judge, okay? The first word is the word, the word crino, crino, K-R-I-N-O, and that's, that means to judge unto condemnation, okay? So, so you're at Quick Trip, you're looking at bananas, and there's the row of bananas, and they're all bruised and black and, and just terrible, and they're just overripe. You, you crino them, and you say, oh, those bananas aren't any good, right? They're just not, you, you just did that, okay? And then there's another word uh, that we use for the word judge, uh, and, it, and it's, it's diacrino, and that means to judge for identification, judge for identification. I'm in Quick Trip, and I'm looking, and there's the potatoes, and there's the apples, and there's the bananas. Oh, Bananas are yellow, and they're long, and they're in this row that says bananas, okay? I just identified, that's a banana. 
and that's an apple, and that's a baked potato or whatever, okay? I just identify those things. So when Jesus is saying here in these verses, he's saying, he's saying, stop, if I could say it this way, crinoing. Stop condemning people. That, that's not your job to condemn people. He's saying, saying your job is not to condemn people, but you can identify the problem, okay? I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the bananas, and I say, oh, that's a banana. It's yellow. I see. It's a banana. Banana's a banana. You know, but your job is not to condemn it and say, oh, that's a bad banana or it's a good banana. Don't, stop, stop doing that. Stop saying that's a bad banana. You can identify that it's a banana. So, so a lot of times when you see the scriptures, and there's a lot of times that verse, uh, that word's actually used, he's just very careful about that. So don't use that word wrong. Don't use it, well, judge not. That's not what he's saying. Listen, if you love someone, church, if you love someone, our job should, should be to help them. You have the right to identify that there's, that there's something going on. That's an apple, that's a potato, and that's a banana. Okay, I can identify. I just made a judgment call. Okay, I'm not condemning you. It's not my purpose to condemn you. But listen, Christians, as Christians, we ought to love people enough that we're able to help them identify a problem and, and come alongside them and show them and show love to them. Not to sit there and condemn them. That's not the job. The job is I love you, I care for you, I want to identify alongside of you a problem. Church, listen, if, let me just say this. If, if you have someone that you know that loves you, listen to me, if there's someone that loves you and they come alongside of you and they identify a problem, that's a problem. Just because of the fact that they love you enough to care for you, you ought to listen to them. What, what do they have to gain? What, what, why, what, what do they have to gain by, by helping you identify a problem? You know, if someone really loves you and is trying to help you, you, you really need to take their input because they truly have no other agenda but to love you. When, when I counsel, I do a lot of counseling. I love counseling with people. And they're, they're, I love doing it. But I, I, a lot of times I have to remind people this because it's amazing. I just want to let you know, I, I'm not making any money on counseling you, okay? I don't charge I don't get a better paycheck. I don't get a pat on the back. No, no one even knows. I have no personal benefit. I, I don't get a better bonus at the end of the year. The only reason you're in my office and we're counseling is because you came to me asking for help. And I looked with my eyes and, 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 and prayed about it. And I identified a problem. You know what? That's a problem. And you get all defensive and you pull back and you're like, well, don't judge me. Time out. You came to me asking for some help, and I'm showing you <laughs> that's a banana, that's a problem, you know? And it just gets so defensive. Don't be like that. If someone loves you and cares for you, they're, they're doing because they love you and care for you. Take their input, take their advice. Why, why would I help someone identify a problem, you know, and then they just go and walk away with it, and you're like, well, why did you even come to my office and even ask for help? I mean, I, I, one of the hardest things as a pastor is you advise someone, you know, hey, listen. I'm trying to help you fix your marriage, okay? When you leave this office, I want you to go that way. And they walk out of my office, and what do they do? They go that way. What? And then they're back a few months later. I just can't understand why there's so many problems. <laughs> oh, my God. I identified the problem with you, and we said the solution was that way, and you went that way. Yes, there's going to be problems because you keep making bad decisions. So, Pastor, how, how can I lean into someone? How, how can I help someone? Jesus is really helping this woman. Here's my little math equation. I think this is pretty good. I don't know. This is, this is 
Well, I think it's not Bible, but it's pretty close. <laughs> Here's my, my, my equation. How can you help someone? How much can you help someone? Length of time plus depth of relationship equals the level of intensity you can give to someone. The closer you are with a person, the longer you've known someone, the deeper the conversation, the deeper the truth you can share with someone. I was at, uh, I was at the gym the other day. I know you're sitting there going, really? Yeah, I know. Um, and the guy on the, not the treadmill, the elliptical. Does anyone here like to use elliptical? Okay, I kind of like because it's easier on your knees. Whatever, okay. The guy next to me, his neck was about that big. His biceps were that big. It just huge built guy. And I could smell him. And it stunk really bad. Have you ever had that? How many of you been at the gym and the guy next to you stinks really bad? And then you're thinking it's you. And you're like... No, no, that's not me. That's someone else. And it's this guy, but he's huge. He's like, you know, working out, some of that. <laughs> no, I'm just going <laughs> to. You can't, why? Why can't I talk to that guy? Because I don't know him. I haven't spent any time with him. Our, the level of intensity, the, the depth of our relationship doesn't exist. And then, <laughs> and then up walks some little petite girl. Must have been his girlfriend or his wife, and she just comes up, honey, you stink. And then he's like, really? And he got off the treadmill, went back in a locker room, something like that. Why could she do it? Why could this little 100-pound thing do it? Why? Because she obviously knew him for more time. She had a good relationship with him, and there was a definite level of intensity. They could talk, and she could get to his face and say, you stink. Let me ask a question. Men, how many of you have ever had your wife tell you you stink? Okay. <laughs> well, they can do that, right? Well, this woman that, that's brought to Jesus, the religious leaders got this impossible situation, and, and basically, to just kind of give you the, 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 the quick view of it, if, if he says, if he says to stoner, okay, you need to stone this woman, then all of Rome, because they were under Roman occupation, would have been upset, and it would have been, no, you can't do capital punishment, you're going against what Rome said, and they would have got him. They would have brought him to the authorities and said, look, he said to kill her, put him in jail, right? On the other hand, though, if Jesus just kind of backs off it and says, well, nah, you get a mulligan this time, forget it. <laughs> now the religious leaders are saying, wait a second, you don't know the law of Moses. Remember, just a couple days ago, remember in John chapter 7, they told him, you don't know the scriptures. You're unlearned. See? He's a phony. He doesn't even know the Old Testament. He doesn't know this stuff. So, and, and he's saying adultery is okay. So, so what he does is he goes and he writes in the ground. He writes down two times. Um, I have a little thought of what, because we don't really know what he wrote. Here's my guess, okay? I'm, this is my guess. This is my guess. I think because he did know the scriptures, because he's God, right? And he does know the Old Testament. I think he probably wrote something like Deuteronomy 17.7. Put that on the screen. Because this would have got right in their face. They would have known the scriptures really well. And the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put to death. And afterwards, the hands of all the people. So shall thou put the evil away from among you. I think they were sitting there going, oh, he does know his scripture. In other words... In other words, if you're going to throw a stone at a guilty person, you better make sure you're not guilty. <laughs> you know, don't, don't throw a stone if you live in a glass house, right? You've heard that? And then what's the second thing he writes down? Well, we don't know exactly. 
except whatever he writes down convicts them in their conscience. Literally, the Greek means they were ashamed. The word there is ashamed in their conscience. So, so they weren't bothered. They were literally ashamed in their heart. I, I think what he did was probably wrote down their names, starting with the oldest person. How about this? Maybe because the, 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 the person that was being tried here was for adultery. Maybe he, I'm guessing, maybe he wrote down their names and the names of their mistresses or their girlfriends or their prostitutes or some girl they dreamed about or something. And he probably just got there and, you know, whatever, John or Bill and then wrote down a girl's name. I don't know that, but all I know is that in context, we're talking about a woman that committed adultery. The verse would have said, listen, you better make sure that you're not guilty before you throw the first stone. And then he writes this down, and they all get up and they leave, the oldest to the youngest. Why? Uh, I don't like my name being written there. This is not a good situation. <laughs> and they probably leave. Now, I don't know exactly what he wrote, but it was enough that he got the whole crowd to leave. Take a look at the next verse, and you'll see. Look down at verse 10. When Jesus had lifted himself up, so he gets up off the ground, and none but the woman. He says unto her, woman, where are those that are your accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, wow, that's great. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He, re he shows this woman respect. He says he, the word used there is the word literally for dear woman or ma'am. He doesn't call her a bad name. Doesn't say, listen, loser. Doesn't say, listen, woman of the night. Doesn't say any of this stuff. He doesn't give her any kind of a derogatory name, but he addresses her respectfully. I believe personally, it's not written in here, I believe there's more dialogue that took place. Uh, I believe that they had a conversation that John didn't record. Why? Think. Why do I think that? Because of what Jesus says to her. He says to her, go and, and, and don't sin anymore. I, I believe she got saved. I, I believe she trusted that who he was was the Messiah. Think. He wouldn't have told an unsaved person, go change your life. That would have been works for salvation, right? I'm the Messiah. Now listen, lady, you need to go change your life. That would have, have been works. I think he's in the discipleship here. Okay, you're a new person now. You're a new cre uh, uh, creature. You believe that I'm the Messiah? Okay, you know what? You're a Christian. Stop acting like that. I expect something different. Don't do this anymore. That's what he's saying. I, I, I literally believe she gets saved because he has the authority to tell her, stop acting like that. Otherwise, it would have been a works gospel. He would, have been, he would have been teaching her, you know what, change your lifestyle for Jesus to accept you. But guys, let me say this. I think as a Christian, I think there needs to be an expectation of how we live as a Christian. I, I, I think we've got to get that in our brain, that sometimes we think, well, the world does it. I totally understand. I get it. The world does it. I understand. Why? Because they're the world. They're not Christians. I think Christians need to act differently, need to dress differently, need to have different forms of entertainment, need, need, to, need to hang out with different people. Why? Because we are a child of the king. Ma'am, he says respectfully, you're a Christian. Don't act like that anymore. Don't do this anymore. You don't need to. You're a Christian. Church. Parents, instilling your kids, there's a difference. Well, why is it that I still don't get it? I, I don't get it except I got it when I was a kid. Teenagers want to be so close to that line. You're a Christian. 
stop getting next to the line. You don't need to go over there. You're a Christian. Get as far away from the line as you can. There's no reason. We don't care. I mean, no, no, you know, to, why be like that? Why would you want to be like that? Don't, don't just do that. So he says, neither do I condemn thee. I, I think he said that in light of the view of the cross. Remember, guys, it's, it's not but too far from now in this story that he's literally going to go to the cross, and, and he's referring to that. I don't condemn thee. I'm literally, literally going to hang on a cross, and I'm going to pay for that sin. I don't condemn thee. It's going to be paid for. Okay, it's done. I don't, I don't have to do that. Aren't you glad that's the story? Aren't you glad that story's in the Bible? Can I get an amen? All right. Think, think if that story wasn't in the Bible. Every person that's ever committed adultery, ever had a bad, lustful thought, ever did something this vile, would have no hope because they'd be like, well, I'm just too bad. I've been condemned by the devil. There's just, I'm just, I'm too bad. But you're not too bad. Jesus himself literally went up to this woman and says, you know what? I don't condemn you either. Stop doing that though, okay? <laughs> and, and she trusts Christ and and I'm just thankful because this is a message of hope. This is a message of peace. It's a message of blessing. I mean, they come to Jesus and, and, and her life has changed instead of being condemned. I believe, I believe this, you know, God, God doesn't see us just for who we are today, but God sees who we can become. Who knows what happened to this woman? I mean, I don't I have no idea what happened to this woman, but I think it's amazing. I think, you know, Jesus really said, you know what? You're a different person now. I have hope for your future. I see what you can be. You're not that person. He doesn't call her a prostitute or whore or adulterer. He doesn't call her anything like that. He gives her a respectful name. You're different now, okay? Go and act like that and, and, and be different because you're a Christian. I don't know, maybe some of us struggle with anger. You're a Christian. You don't have to be the person that struggles with anger. I had a friend of mine that said he was a short fuse and, and he always used to just blow up all the time. Church, if you have a short fuse, you're a Christian. You don't have to have a short fuse. Why don't you be the person that makes peace. This Thanksgiving, instead of blowing up all the time with grandma and weird Uncle Billy at the table, why, why don't you be the person that makes peace? Why don't you be the person that's, that's, that, that shows that, that God's love? Don't be that person. Maybe you've got a family background that's full of divorce and alcohol and just a mess, and you say, well, you know what? Uh, my marriage relationship will never be right. Well, it can be. Your marriage can be right. Well, my parents and my grandparents and my whole family's all divorced. That's them, but you're you. God can work in your life. Why don't, why don't you be that person? Or maybe you've got a, a past with a criminal record. You say, well, you know, I've just been, there's so much drugs and alcohol in my family. That's who I am. That's who I'll always be. That's who's going to define me. Well, it doesn't. Maybe it's part of your history, but it doesn't have to be part of your future, church. It doesn't. You're a Christian. You're a child of the king. It doesn't have to be like that. Praise the Lord. Praise God that he, he met this woman. It's so powerful. I don't condemn you. Yes, I'm going to convict you to pull you closer. But my job is not to condemn you. I, I paid for your sins on the cross. This is why he shows us grace. This is why he shows us mercy. This is why he shows us this change. Listen, church, the world needs the gospel. The world doesn't need condemnation. The world needs to know the one that paid for the sins of mankind. Okay? Our job is to go into all the world to preach the gospel. There's so much bad in the world, we could sit there all day and rag about it. Great. What good does that do? Nothing. The difference is we're going to tell the world about the gospel, and yeah, it is a mess. You know what? You need Jesus. He's the only one that can fix that. I love to use this illustration. 
that just pretend this hand's me and you, my glasses are all the bad things we've done. Pretend this hand's God, God's in heaven, heaven's perfect. God says, I love you, but I hate the sin. The sin keeps you from heaven. But God said in this verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, <coughs> excuse me, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. It doesn't say whoever obeys him. It doesn't say whoever gets baptized. It doesn't say whoever goes to church. It's whoever believes. Do you believe that I'm the Messiah? Remember, this is Jesus speaking. Do, do you believe that? Do you believe that I'm the one that you've been praying about and been, been, been reading about for, for thousands of years? I'm him, and I'm the sacrificial lamb that'll pay the debt for mankind. I just want you to believe that I truly am the Messiah. Do you believe that? Jesus died on the cross and paid your sins. God says, you are forever part of my family. Not because you're good, not because you did something better, not because you got baptized, not because you went to church. No, of course not. But because you believed that Jesus paid your sin debt. Share that good news with the lost and dying world, okay? We're out of time. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our study today. Thank you, Lord, for John chapter 8, the first 10 verses being here. I'm thankful that story's in the Bible. That gives an awful lot of hope, an awful lot of encouragement to all of us here who have made mistakes in our past and we say, oh boy. But Father, we're thankful that Jesus died on the cross and he paid all of our sin debts. There is no condemnation to those who have put their trust in what Jesus Christ did because you paid all the sins. The small ones, the big ones, the, the dark ones that no one in this room knows, not even the person sitting next to us knows about it, but you paid for them. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to go share the gospel more. Maybe someone here today came here not sure about their eternity, but they understand now that Jesus paid their debt. Lord, would you work in their life? Would you give them a special blessing today just for simply trusting? God, I realize I'm a sinner. I can't pay for it. I cannot pay for it. I'd spend an eternity in hell if it was up to me. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried three days later, rose again. He paid my debt. I accept that. I can trust in that, and I've accepted that. I'm part of your family forever. Ask the Lord for a special blessing on that person's life. In your name we pray, amen. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.